Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. On today's episode, we welcome David Novak. David is the former chairman and CEO of Yum Brands, one of the world's largest restaurant companies with over 45,000 restaurants in more than 135 countries, as well as the founder and CEO of David Novak Leadership, a digital leadership development method and online training platform. He hosts the top-ranked business podcast, How Leaders Lead. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the Action Catalyst, everyone. I am so excited today to have David Novak with us. All you've got to do is Google David Novak, and you will see that we have the privilege today of talking to one of the world's most accomplished leaders, one of the most successful CEOs, honored and respected for his tremendous work, first with PepsiCo, and then as the person that really took Yum Brands and made it international. I wouldn't be surprised if there is a Yum Brands outpost on the moon one day. He's focused himself now in leadership and helping people and working with five different nonprofits, David, we are honored and humbled to be with you today. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. I look forward to this conversation. You know, you've had such a stellar career. I wonder if, if looking back on it, you could share what you consider some of the most significant pivot points, those moments when you could have gone left, but you chose to go right, that made such a difference in you having the impact you've had on our world. Well, I've been very blessed because I've had tremendous coaches throughout my career. And uh, all the pivot points that I've made took me to somebody who would invest in me. You know, I went to the University of Missouri and, and I started out uh, as an advertising copywriter in a small advertising agency in, in Washington, D.C. And I quickly realized that I wanted to get on the business side of advertising. So I sent 25 letters out to uh, the top 25 advertising agencies in the country. And, and the first one to respond to me was Catch McLeod and Grove, which was actually located in Pittsburgh. So I went up there, had an interview, got the job, and then, and then I worked with this guy named Tom James, who had a Procter & Gamble background. And for whatever reason, he just took an incredible interest in me. And he had an MBA, and I didn't have one. And he, he taught me everything. That was a great pivot point. And it, funny, it's about three years later, I said, I got to go to New York. If you're in the advertising agency business, you got to make it. You're going to have to make it New York. And so I went up to New York and had some interviews with agencies and got a few job offers. But the fact was, is I felt like a duck out of water. Uh, you know, I just wasn't comfortable in New York. I, I grew up in small town America. You know, I lived in 23 states by the time I was in seventh grade. My dad was a government surveyor. And the big city there was just not quite hitting me properly, just from a cultural fit. And, you know, I also felt that the fact that I didn't have an MBA was going to hold me back there because there are a lot of people who had MBAs up there. They seemed to think it was really important. And I didn't really, you know, want to go to an environment where I thought I might be limited because of my background. And as it turned out, I got this phone call from Howard Davis, who was the president or the head of the Frito-Lay account. And I went and interviewed with him and he gave me a job offer right up the spot. And I became the account executive on Tostitos. And Tostitos uh, was just being launched. I'm sure you've had plenty of those, uh, you know, at your Super Bowl parties. I love that. I love Dallas. And I worked with all these Frito-Lay uh, executives, all who had MBAs. I did quite well. And I ended up running the Frito-Lay account, which included uh, Doritos and Lay's and a number of different products. The senior management at Frito-Lay, they recommended me to the head of Pizza Hut at the time, which was also a PepsiCo division. Uh, PepsiCo had 
uh, Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell, Frito-Lay, and Pepsi. So I go up there and interview for the chief marketing job at Pizza Hut, got the job. And we had a lot of fun turning around the pizza business. And then I get the opportunity to go run marketing at Pepsi, which was a big move for me. You know, it was the biggest marketing job in the, probably in the world at the time. I had a lot of fun doing that. But the next pivot point for me was I wanted to run a PepsiCo division and I didn't have any operations experience. And it was pretty clear to me that until I got it, I wasn't going to be in the consideration set. So I went to my boss when that job became open and I begged for the opportunity to run operations for Pepsi. And he gave me that opportunity. I demonstrated I could do more than just marketing. And then that's how I ended up being the president of KFC. Wow. And then the last pivot point, I got asked to go be the CEO of Frito-Lay. Roger Enrico was the chairman at the time of Pepsi and, and I turned him down because I love the restaurant business and I wanted to stay at KFC. And that was a big promotion opportunity that I turned down and I followed my gut and I didn't know it, but Pepsi was in the process of deciding to spin off the restaurants. So by turning down Frito-Lay and staying at KFC and then also running pizza, I, I was in the perfect position to start up uh, Yum Brands. Huh. Now, what kind of guided you at these pivot points? You mentioned at one point it was about comfort zone, not really wanting to be in a New York City environment. One time it was uh, awareness that you really enjoyed the restaurant side of things and not the rest of it. Did some guiding principle work with you there? First of all, for me, the first thing that drove me was I'm an avid learner. I like to grow myself. And so growth took me to Ketchum McLeod and Grove in Pittsburgh. You know, I wanted to be more. And then I also wanted to do more and learn packaged goods and get more involved with more sophisticated clients. And that's why I went to New York, but I ultimately ended up in Dallas. Had a different thing happen to me in Dallas. I love the advertising agency business, but one of the things that happened there is that in the agency business, you need, as an account person, your job is to go sell the creative product, okay, that the agency developed. And I got into a big argument with one of the creative directors. I didn't like the work. And I knew when I took it to Frito-Lay, they were going to hate it. And my client said to me, how could you possibly bring this to me? You know, this is just absolutely terrible work. I said, well, this is what the agency point of view was. But I hated the fact that I had to sell something that I didn't believe in. I would take a lot of big ideas to clients. Like at Frito-Lay, I came up with Cool Ranch Doritos and you know a lot of different product ideas. But a lot of times you take these ideas to clients, you give them to them, they don't go anywhere. So I wanted to be in a position where I'd actually be accountable and had the opportunity to execute. So when I got the opportunity to be the chief marketing officer for Pizza Hut, you know, what drove me there was really the opportunity to be in control, to have the power to actually make the decisions and not be just making recommendations. Right. So David, it's a fascinating story so far. I, I wonder if you could share, because I know the answer to this, you have undoubtedly hit some brick walls various times in your career when things were just moving along and then all of a sudden, kabam. What can you suggest to us about strategies that you found effective to deal with these just huge insurmountable obstacles? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is really to define reality. What is the current situation you're in and why are you in it? What's the root cause? You know, once you understand the root cause of the problem, then you can do something about it. So for me, whenever I would get to this position where I, I couldn't go forward, I always had to stop and reflect on why. What's the reality of the business? What's the reality of who I am today? You know, why am I having this challenge? Once I understood the why, I was always able to really come up with a pretty good action plan to move the ball forward. 
it's up to you to really take the actions and address the reality so that you can literally get things done. You know, I just wrote this book called Take Charge of You, you know, how self-coaching can transform your life and career. And it's all about those kinds of moments. And it always starts with reflection. You kind of have to start with a, a self-coaching conversation, you know, ask yourself some key questions. Why is this happening? Then you got to open yourself up to the solutions, the growth that is out there if you take the right approaches. You know, I think it's always important to uncover the transformational insight that will move a business forward. And also sometimes for yourself, you got to look at yourself and say, hey, this is something that I got to address myself that's going to allow me to take things forward. And then obviously the big thing, you know, Dan, is you got to take action. You just can't just think about it. You can't look at your navel. You got to actually get up and go. And then, you know, I think after that, it's just a, a process of constant improvement and continually trying to polish the app. Right. The reason why we wrote the book, I wrote the book with Jason Goldsmith. He's the performance coach for Justin Rose and Jason Day. They both became number one in the world in golfing under his coaching. He had also worked with me a little bit on my game. And then we, we talked a lot about coaching. We realized, geez, we have a lot in common here. You know, let's write a book that will really help people. And one of the big problems that out there today, Dan, is that people are so frustrated because they're not getting the coaching they need at work. You know, and this is especially a problem virtually. You know, people now are working at home. They don't have that day-to-day -day contact they typically have with their supervisor. My feeling is, is that the best leaders that I've ever talked to, they're very good at coaching themselves. They're very good at having high self-awareness and figuring out what they have to do to take to the next level. Now, that doesn't mean you couldn't go to a coach or somebody else to help you, but at least you know what kind of coach to go to, you know, and because you, you've really uh, taken the time to self-reflect. So Jason and I had a lot of fun with this book, and we think it'll make a, a major impact because the bottom line is your life and your career is too important to delegate to somebody else. You need to take charge of yourself. I love that phrase. Your life is too important to delegate to somebody else. Well, that self-awareness, that must be one of the reasons why you don't seem to be on a track of complacency and being overly satisfied and just laying back because you could do that. In reality, you could just say, okay, I've done enough, accomplished enough, just going to hang out now. What is it that you think that keeps you really growing and striving and, and so involved in the world? You know, when you first start out, you got to be an individual contributor. You have to do your job. You have to move up the ladder. You have to demonstrate that you, you can actually do what you're being paid to do, Okay. And if you do that well, you get the opportunity to start managing other people. And for me, my focus has always been on the development of other people, helping other people achieve their dreams. You know, and that's really what's been the guiding light in, in my life. And now what I'm doing is, you know, I'm focused on trying to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. That's why I wrote this book. That's why I've written other books. That's why I have my own How Leaders Lead podcast. That's why I do digital leadership training. But, you know, I think being other directed absolutely un unlocks tremendous opportunities for other people and at the same time makes you happy. All the research says that people who spend time working on things that help other people, they're the happiest people in the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy these days because I'm following my passion. And that's something that I've always tried to do is follow the thing that really, really makes me happy, makes me want to get up and, and go. And, you know, people always tell you, do what you love. Well, why is that? Well, if you love something, you can't get enough of it. And that makes you want to learn. And that makes you want to grow. For me, every year, Dan, I do what I call a three-buff-five exercise. I write down 
who am I today? What I want to be tomorrow? And I try to look at myself and figure out, okay, how can I raise my game? And I've done that for the last 20 years. And in fact, it was one of the big coaching tools I used as a CEO is I, I would have people go through that exercise and then I'd always coach them on how they're doing. So that self-reflection, that desire to, to not just be good, but to be as good as you can possibly be. I think that's what drives the highest performers. Well, one thing I would add to that, the very first thing you said when we started is I was really grateful to have so many good mentors and people that invested time in me. In other words, you have an, a gratitude that is very vast and very obvious. Yeah. Oh, I think gratitude is so important. And I am grateful to my, all the people that have invested me. And in fact, Dan, I do, I'm one of these guys that starts out every day with writing down three things that I'm grateful. I had this great guy in my life, Larry Sin, who was basically the father of corporate culture. He taught companies how to really build culture. And he's known for this, but he had this thing he called the mood elevator. He said, you make your best decisions when you're in a state of gratitude. Hmm. You make your worst decisions when you're angry, resentful, and tired. So what I always try to do every day is get my mood elevator. I want to move up that mood elevator to at least curious and interested before I get going in my day. Okay. Maybe someday it's, it's hard to be grateful, but at least if you're curious and interested, you'll be above the line on that mood elevator and be in position to have a better impact on other people and make the best decisions you can. I think that is so fantastic. What a great insight. We make our best decisions when we're in a state of gratitude, make our worst decisions when we're angry, upset, or tired. And it's so true. Think back of when you fly off the handle, somebody comes in at the wrong time. You don't take time to reflect. You have little empathy. You know, you're just so directed in what you're doing that you lose track of how to gather the right input and make the best decisions and take people with you. Boy, but gratitude opens you up for growth. Well, it sure does. I read an interview with Michael J. Fox the other day. You know, Michael J. Fox has been dealing with Parkinson's disease for 30 years. And he said, gratitude is what enables you to sustain optimism. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I have to tell you, my wife, uh, Wendy, is a type 1 diabetic. She's had diabetes since she was seven. So she's had diabetes retinopathy. She's had seizures. She's recently had a, a, a stroke. You know, she's had more complications than anybody I know. And last week we were talking and she goes, you know, you got to wake up every day, be grateful for what you have and live every day like it's the most to make sure you tell the people you love them, that you love them and, and, and hear it back from them. You know, it, it all sounds like such common sense, but that's what does keep a guy like Michael J. Fox going. That is the reason why my wife has been able to survive C1 fractures and spinal surgery. And, you know, it's because she's got that attitude of gratitude and looks at the world in an optimistic fashion. And that sustains people. Mm. Well, hats off to Wendy. My wife was a board member for the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation for many years. We've raised a lot of money for that because of people we know that have been affected by it. It's such an important thing. Yeah. And, and we have the Wendy Novak Diabetes Center in Louisville, Kentucky now, you know, and it's, uh, we're on our way of being a top 10 rated uh, facility and uh, we have great doctors there and, and we're very excited about that. Diabetes, as you know, is a terrible disease and it chips away at you. And so we want to do everything we can to help people deal with that disease when it happens to come their way. Absolutely awesome. Fantastic. Well, you mentioned you try to start each day by making a gratitude list. Any other morning routines that you have that help you get you started on the right track each day? Well, I think that you've got to be grateful. And I think you, for me, you have to stay in shape. You know, I, I believe, you know, particularly in, when you're in the restaurant business, if you don't 
physically work out and keep yourself in shape, you can lose your way a little bit. Okay. I started a habit a long time ago about working out. And I think that helps you. So if you do your gratitudes, you go, you work out, you know, you go into work, you're already going. You know, when everybody else is looking for the coffee, you know, you're already on your way. You know, you, it gives you a head start on your day. But one of the things that I do that might be a little bit unique is I start out each day the night before. Mm. I actually have a pillow on my bed that says plan. So I think about what's going to happen the next day. What do I have on my agenda? You know, but I figure out, okay, what can I do to get ready? I go through my calendar and say, how can I make the day be as best it can? So when I wake up, I'm not surprised about what I have on my calendar, who I've got to see. And I've got a real game plan on how to be as effective as I can in every meeting that I'm going to have. I love that. So that the morning actually starts the night before. I love that. A man named Charlie Tremendous Jones once said, that's the difference between starting the day and saying, good morning, Lord, compared to saying, good Lord, it's morning. Exactly. I love it. Well, that's better, better said than what it took me five minutes to say. I apologize. <laughs> I love it. One more question, David. A lot of our listeners are, are just on great paths in their lives. Things are going super well for them. We've got some other ones, though, that are pretty frustrated right now. They feel like they're at a dead end. What advice could you give to people that maybe have, have lost their support? They've just hit this dead end and not sure what to do. Yeah. Well, I think, again, you have to look yourself in the mirror and you got to start to understand why. And- what I encourage people to do is, first of all, what are the things that block your joy? Write those down. What gets in the way of your joy? Then write down, what are the things that give you joy? What are the joy builders? This will really help you understand where you're spending your time. If you're over there on the right side and you're spending all your time on the joy blocker and you're not focused on what really gives you joy, you're going to be in a rut for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I, I really encourage people to really look hard, really look inside and really understand what would give them joy. You can be an Eeyore and say, oh my God, I'm in a rut. I'm never going to get out of this. It's going to be terrible. And yeah, you know, you, you could be justified for having some of those thoughts, but it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. So, you know, what will get you out of there? I've never seen anybody do extremely well at anything unless they loved what they were doing. So you better look hard at what really gives you joy and then figure out how to get in there. Even if you have to step back, you're going to be better off stepping back and getting an area that you love and gives you joy than staying in some place that makes you miserable. And do it because you want to do it, not because somebody else wants you. And then I think your life can really start to turn around. But if you keep yourself in an area where you're just frustrated, you're at wit's end. You're going to be frustrated and wits end your entire life. And you're going to wake up someday and you're going to go, what in the world have I done with this great thing that God gave? What have I done with my life? It's always funny, you know, when a guy like me says this, yeah, it's easy for you to say, da, 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 da. you know, I haven't always been a guy like me. Okay. I grew up in a trailer park. Okay. I had great parents and it wasn't always easy. But the one thing that has really helped is that I pursued what's given me joy throughout my life. Wow. What a great way to end up. David, thank you so much for being with us. You have made a big difference to me and to our listeners also. So thank you again. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity and keep up the good work with your show. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.